My name is Steve Ray. I'm delighted to welcome Tim Gray to episode 49 of Exit 425 today, although I would rather we were not having to discuss this issue. Tim, welcome to Exit 425. All right, thanks for having me. Tim is the Executive Director of Environmental Defense, who for over 35 years has worked at every level of government to protect our water and create livable communities, among other really important things. They seriously know about what the most recent round of provincial legislation affects. You will hear a lot about environmental defense if you haven't already, and find a wealth of information at environmentaldefense.ca. To start our time together, let's get to know Tim with some really tough questions with a new feature, the pop quiz. So Tim, classic rock or country? Classic rock. Nice. Uh, your most amazing <laughs> art moment? Guernica in uh, Prado in, in uh, Madrid. Wow. Very good. And probably the most, uh, probably a current events kind of thing, but your uh, stopped in the tracks moment. Uh, when Trump got elected. Wow, okay. Tim, the timing of this legislation suggests that something is up. The QP crisis and Bill 28, the rushing of this legislation in a Machiavellian way in their first few months of a new government, and tabling and passing it while new municipal governments are getting organized and unable to provide feedback in the limited time provided. Am I wrong or was this a created crisis and manipulative timing? Yeah, I mean, we were kind of anticipating that if there was going to be really draconian attacks on the public interest, in particular the green belt and planning, that um, it would occur probably on those timelines um, before the municipal election or just around the time when it was uh, over before municipalities got organized. Uh, so we were kind of preparing for that possibility. Um, and sure enough, that's exactly what happened. How is the selection of the original Greenbelt land different from the selection process this time around? Yeah, the initial uh, process was multi-year uh, consultations around the province, um, you know, trying to ensure that the values that were identified for the Greenbelt, so that's farmland, forests, wetlands, etc., were properly captured and then <clears throat> to the degree possible, you know, lined up with administrative boundaries. Because as you can imagine, those features are... Your nature doesn't line up along straight lines, but unfortunately, if you're trying to create something like a you know, protected area or some kind of regulatory uh, entity like the Green Belt, then you know you do have to come up with straight lines eventually, eventually that uh, map along land ownership lines. And so part of the, the shock of this situation was that there was no consultation as, is, as was expected with MPPs or other uh, stakeholders. No, no, none at all. In fact, um, you know, the properties that are being taken out of the green belt were just announced, um, you know, contrary to all previous commitments by the government who said they would never touch the green belt and, you know, <laughs> 10 ways to Sunday. Um, so not only did they not consult, they in fact promised to do the very opposite. They said they were going to expand the green belt, in fact, held consultations on green belt expansion last spring and then didn't proceed with them. And then announced uh, all of these uh, plans to take lands out of the green belt, and then replace them largely with lands that were already protected, um, and that are not uh, susceptible to development. So a little bit of a an effort to try and um, uh, cloud what was actually going on with uh, plans to take lands out of the green belt. What would the uh, PCs say that most of us are missing about the whole discussion about green belt lands that has led to so much? 
ill will toward the Ford government. I know that there's been some media um, in, in certain uh, publications about, well, this isn't new. This has been done before. So is this something that the PCs are going to keep telling us? They've been trying to say that. In fact, some of our supporters who have been writing letters to their MPPs have got responses along those lines. Um, uh, just completely untrue. Um, you know, the Greenbelt Act requires a review of the plan itself every 10 years. So one was undertaken in 2015 uh, for about a year and a half, two years. David Crombie and an expert panel headed up that review. And municipalities and, and developers submitted uh, about 650 different uh, applications for land removal uh, from the Greenbelt. All of those were turned down. Um, and the only changes that were made were a couple of hundred acres of um, boundary alignments, right? So when we were talking just at the beginning, you know, when you have these administrative boundaries overlying ecological features, um, it's not always done precisely. So there was some mapping changes, but all the, the large properties uh, that were requested to be removed were in fact uh, kept in the green belt during the review. And, you know, also worth emphasizing is that was a completely public process with, you know, uh, an expert committee that recommended any kind of policy changes, uh, public submissions took place over a year and a half and was mandated by the legislation. This is completely outside of that period. There was no process around it. Um, you know, no similarities at all. <laughs> and that goes to the, uh, the earlier question that I asked about the, the difference in the selection process as well. The, uh, the credibility of the people involved in the consultation. Yeah, in fact, here we, you know, we saw um, no consultation and, and a mysterious um, coincidence between recent land acquisitions on the Greenbelt and those who had their properties taken out. BUILD, the Building Industry and Land Development Association, in an article by their president, David Wilkes, ignores the sprawl concerns in grabbing Greenbelt lands, but talks about getting municipal governments and conservation authorities out of the way to hasten higher density housing within the urban boundaries. Um, will the Greenbelt be built up with high density housing? That's an interesting comment from them because that's exactly the opposite of what's actually occurred. Um, the density requirements for new development areas was reduced by the government during this whole raft of changes. So fewer houses, fewer people per hectare are now required. The uh, housing of Affordability Task Force also recommended uh, changes within urban boundaries to allow more types of houses uh, to be built and for greater densities to be achieved in existing neighborhoods. Those uh, changes were largely left unenacted uh, in the legislation. Um, this package overall is really about um, allowing sprawl to move on to farmland or mandating it to move on to farmland. And then within larger cities like Toronto, <clears throat> It's to enforce uh, very high densities, you know, um, towers and things like that without uh, the necessary offsetting services for the community that's going to be built there. So people have talked about this as being about tall and sprawl, you know, where, the, where there's um, huge development pressures, either for big towers in, in very urban areas or for sprawl in subdivision or suburban areas, or exurban areas, um, this legislation enables uh, both of those things to proceed really rapidly at the expense of the environment, at expense of uh, taxpayer um, uh, taxes, 
and uh, also for the, the social fabric of, of the region over the long term. During the election, uh, local candidates in Clarington talked about how uh, residential taxes really only account for about 84% of uh, the operating costs of our infrastructure. Um, and so it, it appears that this uh, legislation, um, various packages, are actually going to reduce that even further, Is that not, unless taxes are raised. Yes, yeah, so we're, we're going to be faced with a situation where new developments are not paying, you know, development charges, you know, in the same way that they did before. So then municipalities are left with the choice of reducing services um, or increasing taxes. So this, uh, you know, amounts to a, a subsidy to the development industry. Um, their argument is that if the development charges are reduced, that they'll reduce the price of housing and therefore it'll become more affordable. But there's no reason to expect that they won't just take the take the profit. There's no mechanism being put in place to ensure that reduced development charges somehow uh, are passed on to a, a new homeowner. Uh, and every expectation is is that it'll just result in greater developer profits at the expense of taxpayers. And I don't think residents have that expectation that they'll actually lower the prices because of our experience in other things that have happened where. Uh, people who've been given that opportunity and, and lower cost to make something happen have actually done just that, taken the profits. Well, in particular, um, the housing market is not really very competitive. Um, you, know, you think of, you know, the average person, you know, we don't have uh, the, the luxury of going out and shopping for a, a lot to build a house on and then selecting an architect and a, and a contractor you know, some very high-end um, buildings, you know, in the millions of dollars category might be done that way. But most people are buying homes from subdivision builders. They're either buying a townhouse or a single detached home. Or if they're in a city, they, they might be buying a, a, a condo, again, from a big corporation. So the incentive for any of these big developers is to ensure that supply does not become so abundant that it doesn't drive down prices. So... We know that there are thousands and thousands of acres of fully approved um, permitted land uh, within urban boundaries throughout the GTA to build housing on. And that a lot of it doesn't, it's not being built. And that is uh, controlled by the development industry itself. Um, so they do not want to see uh, a massive uh, influx of housing onto the market because that would actually lower the price. Now, it's in our collective interest as society to have lower prices. And if we're going to have that, if we're going to have truly affordable housing, government will have to get involved in some way to ensure that some of the housing stock is actually deeply affordable. Otherwise, uh, the building industry has no interest in producing affordability. They just have an interest in, in, in building buildings and making a good profit on it. The Duffins Creek agri agricultural land seemed to be a real lightning rod in this situation. And why is that? Yeah, the, the Dufferin's Rouge uh, Agricultural Preserve uh, represents about 70% of the entire area being taken out of the Greenbelt. It's about almost 5,000 acres right on the boundary with Rouge Park. So these lands originally were expropriated from farmers in the early 1970s um, for the creation of a future Pickering Airport, which of course has never been built. Um, when the province decided that these lands uh, were going to be surplus to that airport need, they uh, wanted them to go back into agriculture. So they sold them back to farmers. 
but they put an easement on them all and legislated that. And that was to keep them perpetually uh, pr- protected as farmland beside uh, Rouge Park and, and uh, near Pickering. So what the province is doing is not only taking those lands of the Greenbelt, they've removed the, the easement. So uh, a few years ago, over the course of the last, I think about 15 or 20 years, uh, a number of developers have bought up a lot of those farmlands. And uh, so now um, with uh, the stroke of the legislative pen, those lands uh, will no longer be agriculture, um, but could be then converted into development. So um, all of that value that was owned by the public, we sold those lands back at, uh, at, at farmland prices. They're about, you know, to come, be, go from, you know, a, a few tens of millions of dollars to, uh, you know, worth billions in, in, in potential development. So, you know, it just underscores the, the fact that if we really needed all these lands for uh, to build affordable homes, which I dispute, I don't, I don't think there's any evidence to show that we needed any of these lands to build homes. But if the province really wanted affordable homes on this uh, on these lands on Dufferin's Rouge and wanted to destroy agricultural land to do it, they should have uh, kept the easement in place, expropriated the lands at agricultural value, and then put affordable homes on them. Because now they're going to be worth you know orders of magnitude more um, for the developer, and we'll never get that value back. So it represents a transfer of wealth from the public to those developers that is unbelievable. And to that point, in a recent article, you said the removal of thousands of acres of legally protected farmland, forests, and wetlands from the Greenbelt threatens us all. A government doing so in a manner shrouded in secrecy that appears to benefit a select group of property owners, including recent purchasers, needs to be thoroughly investigated by the OPP. Duff Conacher of Democracy Watch agreed, saying the Supreme Court of Canada has ruled that it damages our democracy if a situation even appears to raise questions about the integrity of a government policy-making process and that law enforcement must be strict and strong to prevent this damage. So given the Greenbelt policy change smells badly, the OPP must investigate. Some wisdom from Steve Ray also suggests that never mind that the regular ordinary citizen loses another little bit of trust for their institutions. Um, this government hasn't done well with legal challenges to their policies and legislation. Could a legal challenge delay the implementation of this act? Yes, I'm not sure about legal challenge to the act itself, um, but I do think that uh, investigation by the OPP um, is uh, absolutely necessary in this case for the you know the reasons that you just just read out. Um, you know this. Uh, you know the the fact that these lands were per- many of them were purchased, you know, since the government was elected. At the same time, they were promising to never touch the green belt, bought at agricultural land prices, which they will now see massive, massive profits now that the government has unilaterally moved in without consultation to reclassify these lands as being able to be developed and, in fact, rapidly developed. Um, why no public process? Why these lands? Why are these lands being uh, put forward to the public saying that they have infrastructure and they're ready to go when the municipalities who actually are in those areas say that there is no infrastructure and they're not ready to go? I mean, all aspects of, of this, uh, of this uh, you know, policy change, um, you know, they, they're based on lies, they're based on misinformation. And uh, it seems that um, particular companies have benefited in a way that 
really does question whether or not the government's acting in the public interest, which they get elected to do and the people who work in the civil service uh, are required to do. So uh, if that's not the case, then then um, there should be an investigation and, and charges laid if necessary. And if they were thinking that this would actually pass the sniff test, then why wasn't the normal accepted practice and, and procedure taken? Absolutely. In Clarington, the Greenbelt lands being removed are 34 hectares next to Highway 418. Surely that has to be innocuous and not a concern. Is this a concern? Yeah, there's several of the, of the areas in the Greenbelt that are relatively small. Um, some of them, uh, unfortunately, have really uh, highly significant natural heritage values on them. So these would be forests or, or river edge areas or wetlands, and that's why they're included in the first place. So there's, there's the values on the site that matter. But the other thing that uh, happens when you just uh, unilaterally decide to open the green belt with, with no rationale, with just like we picked these areas, is that you set a precedent. And this is what the government has done here, is that they've sent a message out to the development industry, go out and buy bits of the green belt. And, uh, you know, maybe somehow uh, you will get them removed. And what that does is it starts a spec- land speculation frenzy on the green belt. And that makes uh, the survivability of the farm uh, community, uh, you know, very challenging because farmers, um, if they want to buy more land, and of course the, the, the economics of farming have meant larger and larger farms, farmland consolidation, et cetera. Um, if they're trying to compete with people buying land to build a subdivision on it, instead of competing to buy it for farmland, they're out of luck. So uh, you really erode the ability of the green belt to be protected uh, in perpetuity if the message has gone out there that it's not permanent. And uh, essentially, that's what this, uh, this uh, you know, plan that the, the provincial government's undertaking does, is it sends a message to developers, go buy lots of, of land at, uh, at farmland prices and uh, come lobby us. And uh, maybe we'll take your land out of the green belt. And with uh, certainly the changes to, you know, the influence that municipalities and conservation authorities can have now, uh, it uh, it gives them a greater chance of actually being able to develop those lands. Absolutely. I mean, the green belt uh, land takeouts are just you know one part of the of what's gone on here, um, and perhaps the most visible and the most visibly tied to you know uh, you know. Uh, contradicting commitments the premier has made repeatedly, but the gutting of uh, wetland protection rules, um, the uh, removal of planning authority from regions and sending it down to a lower tier, banning conservation authorities from uh, being involved in in conservation planning with municipalities, um, the uh, mandating of sprawl, like so forcing cities like Hamilton and Halton and others to expand their urban boundaries, even though the the people of the city decided on a plan that would build houses inside the cities. Um, The, uh, you know, the removal of um, density requirements to allow sprawl to be built at lower densities, like the list goes on and on. So you have an entire package that um, basically is, is a dream come true for the home builders association. Um, but the, the costs that are being put on to the public are incredible. Environmental costs, social costs, and economic costs. 
to subsidize people that are already very, very wealthy uh, and to create uh, uh, chaos, future chaos in, in the greater Golden Horseshoe with more gridlock, more pollution, uh, no more uh, no more housing that's affordable and and uh, and higher taxes. So it's, it's a nightmare for the public and uh, many of the developers laughing all the way to the bank. A uh, former mayor of Clarington, John Mutton, said on Exit 425 that uh, uh, Durham would be paved in having a con- conversation about uh, development in Clarington particularly. Uh, John Henry responded to that, and of course he's our regional chair. He indicated, he says, well, maybe, but 80% of it is protected by the Greenbelt. So has the game changed in Clarington? Well, I think unless uh, we are successful at uh, turning back this uh, agenda, is that you know we will see low density sprawl, um, you know, cover the entire region. I mean, there's a series of ring road highways and low density subdivisions uh, and people trapped in gridlock. I mean, that's the vision that is being put forward here. Um, and people in Ontario have to decide if that's what they want. Do they want all the rivers polluted? Do they want uh, low-density suburbs and they want to sit in their cars for hours to go anywhere? Or would they like uh, to take the approach towards future development that the rest of the Western world is pursuing? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really, really hard to believe that, you know, a highly developed uh, G7 country like Canada would put up with this kind of stupidity. So what should people do? What can people, what can the ordinary everyday resident of Clarington, Durham, Ontario do about this? Yeah, I think the, the next thing in particular in Durham, um, you know, all of, all of these proposed changes have to be made real at a local level. You know, the, the Dufferin's Rouge Agricultural Preserve is still zoned uh, for uh, agriculture. Um, that has to be changed. It has no infrastructure in place. It needs access to sewer and water. There's all kinds of opportunity for local people to make sure that that never happens by working with their municipal government. Um, Dufferin's Rouge also is directly adjacent to Rouge National Park. It's near where this future airport may or may not be built in the future. Huge federal interests, federally listed species at risk, Fisheries Act um, concerns. The federal government has a role here and they need to step up. Um, so I think the next steps for the public is to engage um, other level of government. I think you should continue uh, to talk to your MPPs and tell them how disgusted you are. But that doesn't mean you should just pack it in. We've been unable to convince the, um, the provincial government to do the right thing to date. And we should continue to pressure them. But I think the immediate challenge is going to be to work to make sure that these really regressive changes are not implemented on the ground. Thank you so much, um, Tim, for joining me today. Any final thoughts about, I mean, you shared some very, very good things and and some very uh, key points there in the last few minutes, especially. But any final thoughts at this time about the potential impact of this legislation? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, people need to realize that, you know, we're a wealthy country. We could have livable communities with public transit, with walkability, with access to work, schools, our friends and neighbors um, that is done on public transit or by moving freely across the region. Uh, Many other countries in the world are doing this. Um, We can choose that. We have the capacity to do so. 
we should never let a, a, a misguided government that wants to return us to uh, some kind of sprawl nightmare from the 1940s um, uh, ruin our world. So uh, get out there, get mobilized, and let's make sure that we have the world we want. Again, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, again, on very short notice, uh, I appreciate and value your time. Thanks so much. Please check out environmentaldefense.ca or at EnviroDefense for more information and some great background articles about the Greenbelt and many other relevant issues, as well as information about how you can support their efforts. Thank you for listening to this episode of Exit 425. Please like and subscribe on whatever platform you use. Our mission is to provide substantial current affairs information and education that goes where you want. Exit 425 is a production of Studio 38 Audio, copyright 2022. My name is Steve Ray. If you have questions or would like more information about Exit 425, join our Exit 425 Facebook group or email me at exit425401 at gmail.com.